All right, children of Most High Ever Loving Living God, welcome back to Marie Speaks God's Grace Bible Study. Today we are going to be going over Numbers chapter 16, and as I always say, I'm excited about this Bible study, but I truly am. I I look forward to us gathering together and speaking and learning and studying the Word of God. Believe it or not, um... It takes some time to prepare a Bible study. It does. And research. And it's fun for me. And I literally find it such an honor and such a pleasure to be able to come online and speak about the love of my life, Jesus, and share and share what I've studied and learned from him. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful beautiful experience for me so i hope all of us get something out of this bible study in jesus name amen amen all right so yes what you see on the screen before you is our main social media page minds.com now i wasn't able to um upload the blog post for this bible study and i've tried several different times um so i do apologize from that for that but i was able to share as often as I, you know, I love to, um, several different posts. Hey, there's the praying medic. Oh, he's awesome. Um, so please go and check these out. If you want to keep up to date on us on our social media posts, otherwise you can go to our website, mariespeaksgodsgrace.live because we serve a living God and you can see all of our blog posts that go along with the Bible study under our season four blog page amen in jesus name so let me put this screen up so i can just fast forward i don't want to make everyone dizzy with the scrolling so here at marie speaks god's grace bible study we go over the historical part of the bible study then we go over the biblical text reading out of the uh, Geneva 1560 edition of the Bible, which is my personal favorite version of the Bible. It's the Bible I felt the Lord our God has led me to. So whichever Bible you feel most comfortable with, please read from that one. Just understand there might be different um, interpretation of the text. And then after the biblical teaching and the historical teaching, we will get into a Torah teaching where God, I feel, we go over what I feel the Bible verses God led us to review in a little bit more depth. And if there's a spiritual teaching along with that, praise God, praise God, praise God, we will go over that too in Jesus' name. All right, so let's get into the historical part of the Bible study for Numbers chapter 16 in Jesus' name. Lord, bless this Bible study. Amen. Thank you for blessing this Bible study. Thank you for blessing everyone within the sound of our voice. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for showering us with your glorious, wonderful presence. Thank you for making all things known and clear in Jesus' name. Thank you for setting us up, setting us beyond. Thank you for giving us length and strength lord thank you for watching us and ensuring that we are more than well provided for and taken care of thank you father god thank you father god for leading this bible study and protecting us from all evil foreign and domestic 
of this realm and of the spiritual realm. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray always and forever. Amen. Praise God. All right. Reading out of the Haley's Bible handbook. There are many handbooks out there, but these are some of my favorites that we go over. The link is provided in the blog post for those who would like to read along or on their own personal time. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers chapter 15 we went over last time, so we are going to go into Numbers uh, 16. Now, Korah is one of the Levites who choose to go against Moses, which will go um, in a little bit more depth later. Korah is jealous of Moses, sought to usurp his leadership. Moses went straight to God, amen, as every child of the living God should, and God settled the matter in no time. The earth opened up and the rebels went down into the pit. Now, I remember when I was reading this, I was like, oh, down into the pit. And I found myself asking God when I was praying, God, is this similar to the pit that those who chose to go against you and who tried to usurp your throne went into? Now, I didn't get an answer, but it made me wonder, you know what I mean? So, I guess one day we'll find out in Jesus' name. I look forward to sitting at that table with our Lord and Savior because I got a list of questions. You know, I I asked the Lord so many questions and I look forward to one day him saying, oh, I feel this so, I'm trying not to get emotional, but I look forward to one day Jesus saying, you know, oh, Marie, remember all those questions you asked? Well, here's a book you can read all the answers. Or here, I'm going to show you a movie with all the answers and you asking your question. Whatever the case may be, right? That would be amazing. <laughs> Anyhow, Moses' troubles. Moses surely had a lot of troubles. No sooner was he out of Egypt um, when the trouble began. And we talked about this, how... The nation of Israel kept transgressing against the Lord our God from the very beginning. And then there was wars and then there was battles. And then there was the Golden Calf series, um, Golden Calf um, episode that happened. And it was just, from what I could witness, heartbreak after heartbreak, betrayal after betrayal for Moses. And I find myself wondering... How could he stay so strong in the midst of and surrounded by those who were his people, but he didn't grow up with them? And then he reluctantly, because he didn't want to at first, right, took, <laughs> took responsibility for this nation. I bet you there were so many times he was like, God, I didn't even want this job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyhow, oh, poor Moses, he has to do it again. Um, let's fast forward to right here. Uh, yes, the 10 of the 12 spies, we talked about that last time. So last of all, Moses was not permitted to enter the promised land himself. The last time, the lifetime dream of his heart, except for the miraculous grace of God, we do not see how he could have bore up under it. Um, but when on the banks of the Jordan River, God took him to see the land that I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses understood. So fast forwarding to Richard's Complete Bible Handbook. We will go to the specific part where it says about Korah's Rebellion. 
Korah, a Levite, insolently challenges Moses' authority. He asks, why do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? But it is God who has given Moses and Aaron authority. Korah and his followers are told to present themselves before the tabernacle, bringing incense to offer the Lord. Moses tells Israel to remove, to move away from the tents of the rebel families. Suddenly, the fire lashes out to destroy those bringing the unauthorized offerings. At the same instance, the earthquakes, the ground opens to swallow the processions and the family of the rebels. Amazingly, and this goes into Numbers uh, chapter 17, amazingly, the next day, the congregation accuses Moses of having killed the Lord's people. Only the leader's intervention stops the resulting plague that strikes down 14,700 of the people. No wonder the later scriptures speak of this generation as stiff-necked and unyielding as well as unbelieving and i i'm adding hard-headed could you imagine this is what i was i was wondering while i was praying how many people just in this because this is only like maybe two and a half years maybe three years after the whole exodus incident there's um you know some scholars disagree on the whole time frame but roughly they say two to three years so we're going to go right in the middle two and a half years so this is maybe two and a half years after the whole exodus situation from um, the land of egypt with outstretched arm crossing the red sea and in that whole beautiful um first passover and the ten plagues that whole incident right so I'm thinking it still must be pretty pretty fresh in their mind. Some wounds are still possibly healing from that whole lifetime in Egypt. How can they forget the God that they serve? How could they forget how Moses helped set them free, you know, by the grace of God? It doesn't make sense to me. And I'm sure many of us might feel like that sometimes in our life where... Maybe we have gone out of our way to help someone, or maybe we have gone out of our way to be there for someone who just quite honestly just acted as if they were entitled to our help, as if they deserved our free time for free, no charge. You know what I mean? Just ungrateful individuals. And then on top of that, they'll have the nerve maybe to come against us later and throw it in our face that we helped them. And I try putting myself in Moses' place. I try putting myself in Aaron's place. But I honestly, maybe it's just me, but I can't put myself in the place of the nation of Israel for those who wanted to go against Moses. I, maybe I'm, I'm just willful thinking or, or rainbows and sunshine thinking of myself. I don't know. But I would think I would have been like, no, you guys, we need a... Be loyal. God is going to get us into the promised land. Relax. Why are you guys being all, you know, evil about this? Leave them alone. You know, I don't know. I think many of us 
um, who truly love the Lord. You know, we know that God is our Savior. We know that Jesus is King. We know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, our Father, who is in heaven. And and one day he's going to come again. Those of us who love Jesus and we are in love with Jesus, I believe most of us would have been the ones who wouldn't have been rebelling. You know, I'm not saying we would have been perfect because we're not perfect. But what kind of, I, it doesn't make sense to me what kind of an ungrateful person would have been going against Moses, Aaron, and his other priests. And then on top of that, who would follow someone so ungrateful and disgusting after witnessing those miracles? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. So in not making sense to me and me trying to understand, what do we do? We research. That's right. We research and pray. All right. So who was this Korah who was able to somehow persuade, we're going to read later, 250 so to 1,000 individuals to go against the Lord's prophet? And his priests. Who is this individual? How were they so, for lack of better words, bewitching, right? It is a Jezebelic spirit, witchcraft spirit, a sorcery spirit, kundalini spirit that does these kind of things, right? So we're going to try to dig deep. And I would like the children of God, please, if you, if you happen to see some resemblance of these individuals and someone else you might have been dealing with i believe the lord or god is going to give you a solution to rectify that problem if it is a repeat situation that happens maybe you see someone five years and then five years later you meet someone who's kind of like that person maybe god's trying to tell us hey you got a lesson to learn from this and you ain't learning so it's coming around again you won't be elevated spiritually closer to God until you conquer this. Or, or, because this is a possibility too. What if, and I'm not speaking this over anyone, Lord, shield and cover us in the loving, saving blood of our Yeshua HaMashiach. If there happens to be some characteristics of this Korah and his followers in us, let that spirit be rebuked and cast out of us right now in Jesus' name. We have to willfully and intentionally turn away from this spirit of betrayal, spirit of disloyalty, spirit of begetting, bitter spirit. This is all wrapped up in that. Amen and amen. All right. Korah is written in Smith's Bible Dictionary. It means baldness. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? And baldness, remember it when we went over uh, the plague of leprosy? It was traditionally um, with the outward showing of certain baldnesses or certain patches on the head, right? They would have to shave their head um, during the whole priestly review to make sure they didn't have any leprosy. It was, uh, and then the baldness and the leprosy, it was normally attributed to the sin of slander and gossiping, which now we see Korah, when we read about the biblical text, we're going to read, that's what he was doing, which I love God's word because it is, um, it's prophetic and it's poetic because we can see how 
names have a spiritual truth in their meaning. And this is another reason why names are very important. We can't just be shelling out any name or calling people certain names or and we should take care in even naming our animals. That's how important it is because that was one of the assignments from um, from God to um, Adam to name all the animals. It is a big deal is my point. And there is a reason and a spirit behind a name and a word in Jesus name. All right. So I copy and pasted um, the first examples for uh, the definition of Korah. So we're going to skip right to this particular Korah. So what often trips new Christians or baby Christians up is the fact that the Bible will contain several different individuals. Let's just say Marie, right? There are several different Maries or Marias or Marys in the Bible. But if you go to a Bible dictionary, blessings be to God, it'll say son of, daughter of. So we know um, who is the particular one we are studying and reading about. Such is the same with this Korah. Son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. He was the leader of the famous rebellion against his cousins, Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, for which he paid the penalty of perishing with his followers by an earthquake and flames of fire. The particular grievance which re re rankled <laughs> in the mind of Korath is his company was their exclusion from the office of the priesthood and their, their being confined. Those among them who were Levites to an inferior service of the tabernacle. Korath's position as a leader in this rebellion was eventually the result of his, evidently the result of his personal character, which is that of a bald, haughty, and ambitious man. In the New Testament, Korah is coupled with Cain and Balaam. All right, so I wanna I wanna point something out here. This individual Korath already had a position of prestige. He was a priest in the tabernacle. His issue was he was not a priest of the tabernacle. He was not in the bloodline of Aaron. This Korath felt that he should have been the high priest of the tabernacle and then and then for if he was the high priest, his bloodline would have been the Kohan Ra knights, you know, instead of the Aaron knights, and all his descendants would have been in line if proven spiritually um, elevated and so, and passed all these tests and qualifications, those individuals would have been in line to be a high priest of the tabernacle. Does that make sense? So that's why when I said this individual was a slanderer, he was a gossip, he lived out the spirit of the Jezebel spirit, which can be a male or a female um, individual, a man or a woman. I know a lot of individuals try to say it towards a woman who is like some kind of a seductress, but 
Being a seductress is basically it's witchcraft and it's sorcery. Okay, it's like a kundalini, kundalini spirit. It's a false holy spirit. You're attempting to put your um, your spirit to persuade someone under false or with cruel intentions. Does that make sense? There's no truth in that. Therefore, there is no spirit of God in that. Therefore, it is an antichrist spirit and it is of Lucifer, the devil, Satan, LSD, which we rebuking issues great name. So that's why I say if by any chance we are watching this Bible study or we are listening to this Bible study and we're like, ooh, that could have been me at some point in some situation, whether if it was in a relationship at work, a relationship at home, a relationship, uh, a romantic relationship, a professional relationship, whatever the case may be. Just repent. Repent to the Lord our God and being like, God, you know, I'm sorry. I was like that to whoever. Amen. In Jesus' name. Um, that would, here's what it does. It removes any spiritual legal right for the evil ones to attack you on that cause. See, we've talked about this before regarding the whole courts of heaven. Lord, lead us. Amen. In Jesus' name. Koroth. At any point in time until the execution of his punishment happened, theoretically, he could repent and say, you know what, Moses, you're right. I don't know what happened. I, I, I repent, God. I repent. I'm sorry for going against you, for going against your prophet, for going against your priests, right? And at that point, because God is a forgiving God and he has to follow his own laws, God has the opportunity to look into Koroth's heart, see if he was truly remorseful and if he intends to ever go against Moses or Aaron in the future. So God would know, well, should I accept his repentance or not, right? And then God would tell Moses and Aaron, or uh, yay or nay, if I accept his repentance, Koroth would have had to make a sin offering because that's what they're doing at this time in, in the Bible, right? They would make a sin offering at the temple he would repent. He would be temporarily removed from service for the tabernacle for six months to a year because he is a Levite until he passed several more tests, get re-sanctified, re-purified, and then he would be reintroduced into working at the tabernacle. No, he would not go back to the immediate position he was at before. No, 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 no. He would have to work his way back up because that is the law of the community squirrel out of the Dead Sea Scrolls in Jesus' name, which we have shared before here on this Bible study. So we can do that too, if that makes sense in the spiritual law sense. So at any point in this Bible study, that's why I'm saying this. If you hear, ooh, I've done that, or ooh, someone did that against me. Forgiveness might be in order, which we should all forgive. At least forgive with your heart and your mind that will set you free from that oppression or that bitterness spirit or that holding on to grudges spirit. You know, a lot of us need healing in Jesus' name, especially if there are some repetitive thoughts going on with any situation or or the minute you see someone and it invokes those spirits, uh, uh, yes, spirits or feelings of that are just so negative, they weigh you down. Does that make sense? But also, we have to be cautious that if we've, uh, misled or harm someone in that kind of way these could be the spirits that we are putting on them 
So we need to make atonement there. Does that make sense? God wants us all to be at peace and we are all God's children. We might not, not all be children of God that we like each other, but we need to love each other. Amen and amen in Jesus' name. All right, let's keep it moving. Followers, followers, praise God. All right, so Cain and Balaam. So let's move on to who was Korath. Now that we know he is a Levite, he is servicing at the tabernacle, and we have an idea of his character. He is a jealous, begetting type of individual. Um, who, who was he? So Korath, or Korach, was the leader of the rebellion against Moses and his brother Aaron. Now we now know that Korath is actually the cousin of Moses and Aaron. So this is a family matter. Ooh, those are the worst in my opinion. When we get, well, I'll put this on me because I can deal with a lot of things. But for some reason, when it is my family, oh, it hurts the worst, right? When, oh, mm -mm -mm -mm. not putting all my business out there, but I'll, I'll just give an example. If a stranger was to say, Marie, I don't like you for whatever reason, I would be like, well, all right, all right. Amen in Jesus name. And I would keep it moving. I might go to God and be like, what was that about? That wasn't nice. You know what I mean? And then it, it'd be cast from my, my mind and my spirit and I would keep it moving. But if a family member, this is just me. Uh, if a family member says even like something like you hurt my feelings, I'm like, oh no, what did I do? And I generally feel bad and I feel remorseful. And I'm like, how can I fix this? I'm so sorry, you know? And I, I feel, I feel terrible and I do everything I can to try to mend it if it is possible. But that is just me. So obviously when I hear that Moses' own cousin is coming against him, just after his brother and sister came against him a couple of chapters earlier, I feel so much sympathy and empathy for the prophet Moses. You know what I mean? Uh, poor baby Moses. Oh well. So I don't know if anyone else is like that, but there's some people, you know, nothing gets to them, but maybe I'm just a big squishy softy. I don't know. Anyhow, Korath was a leader of the rebellion against Moses and his brother Aaron during the journey of the Israelites from Egypt to the land of Israel. As punishment, he met his end by miraculously being swallowed up by the earth. His story is told in the book of Numbers in the portion known as Korath. Korath, the man of stature. Yes, he was a wealthy and well-known man. We have to remember, I believe it was four or five times by this point, God called Moses to help select leaders of the tribes. Now, this is, they're normally referred to as princes, and they were to be great men of stature and all these things, right? But this is something completely different because Korath was a Levite. He was from the Levitical tribe, you know, and I know a lot of individuals, I'm sorry, they completely falsely teach that the Levites were podunk and poor priests. No, 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 no. They were very wealthy. The, the Levites have always been very wealthy. Um, we have to consider biblical meaning of wealth, okay? 
wealth in that period of time was you got a ton of cattle, you got a ton of land. Um, if you had multiple wives, which was sometimes going on at this time, you had rules and laws that you had to provide for each one. Not only did you have to provide remnants and food for each wife, you had to provide children by those wives because that was their inheritance, children. And then you had to provide for all your housekeepers and your slaves and all that. You see what I mean? So don't let other individuals fool you that at this time, that they were podunk, nappy-headed, ashy, and poor. That is not the case. They're, they're, the priests, even before the Book of Numbers, were very well off. They just have a different meaning of well off. By that time and that standards, they were not lacking any one thing in Jesus' name. All right? All right. So Karoth was... Karoth? <laughs> was a great grandson of Levi, the third son of Jacob, 12 sons, the first cousin of Moses and Aaron, the Jewish leader and the high priest respectfully. Korath was extremely wealthy and was a clever, cunning like the serpent, I just want to put that in there, an astute individual. His status as a member of the Levite tribe enabled him to participate in the service of the Mishkan and the, port the portable sanctuary of the Jews carried with him throughout their journey of the Promised Land. Mishkan, tabernacle, tent of meeting, meetings of the tent where they would all do you know, the services and ceremonies, sacrifices and celebrations, biblical feasts unto the Lord. His issue was he was a servant, so to speak, to the Kohanims, which were the high priests of the tabernacle. He was assisting. He didn't want to be assisting. He wanted to be the star of the show, right? <laughs> he, If there was no, I'm just going to put it out there, luxury, if there was no stardom of being a high priest of the tabernacle or Kohanim of the tabernacle, if there was not, at the very least, a prestige, an honor about it, Korhoth wouldn't have wanted it, right? But he saw how others maybe looked up to these priests of the tabernacle. They said, oh my goodness, here comes Aaron, the high priest. Maybe the tribe members would bow down low to the ground and, and pray blessings for him. Who knows, you know? But Korath wanted that. He, the issue was he didn't want... This, this is so... This is difficult to say. He didn't want to serve God. He just wanted the stardom of serving God. And unfortunately, because I, I love to listen to a lot of really old sermons, sermons from like the 16 and 1500s and stuff, you know? It, there's nothing new under the sun, children of God. Even back in these biblical times in the book of Numbers, some people were like Korath and they wanted to be the star of the show. They didn't want the work. They didn't want... Uh, to prove themselves, they they rather just go in there and take it with guns a-blazing, so to speak. And that's what he was trying to do, is my point. Very, very sad. Oh, oh Father, forgive us. Why might have Korath rebelled? Korath was jealous of the fact that Aaron had been chosen as the high priest of the tabernacle to the exclu exclusion of anyone else. 
Furthermore, his cousin, Elitfan, had been chosen as the head of the Levite family of Kohan, which the Korans belonged. The Korans felt this position was rightfully his. So we have to remember that several members of Aaron's families, family, right, his two remaining sons, because the first two, you know, offered God strange fire and they got burnt up <laughs> at the tabernacle. They got drunk and offered God strange fire and they got burnt up by the fire of the Lord our God uh, that went in through their nostrils and basically made them combust outward. Um, so his two remaining sons, Aaron, are the ones that are going to be the heads of all the tribes and ensure that breaking down the tabernacle and transporting it and then building back up that everything was done according to plan and everyone is stationed to camp where they're supposed to be camped, etc. This is another thorn, so to speak, in Korov's side because he felt it should have, no one should be above him, he should be the end all be all, kind of like Lucifer the devil, right? trying to usurp God Almighty's throne. Why did others choose to follow Koroth in rebellion? I have no idea, but this uh, this is what some people do. I have no... This honestly frustrated me. I was like, God, why would anyone listen to him? Because they have that spirit of bitterness too. That slave mentality. They don't want to work for it, but they'll try to go and guns a-blazing and steal it. Jealousy is an easy slander gossip believing mind. Not having critical thinking skills or perhaps the followers were already already thinking the same as the initial rebels. But had the but had the courage but had the courage once like minded at Yeah, I don't even know what I wrote right there. I'm sorry. Basically I meant to say this. Um Perhaps the followers were already thinking what Koroth was saying. And once they found someone that was like-minded and would lead them in this anarchist rebellion, and they discovered that there was another rebel in the camp, then they were ready to set forth. Sometimes anarchists only gather together and they just talk, right? They never do. But there's always someone who is willing to step up and lead as long as they have a bunch of followers kind of like uh these anarchists nowadays that we have right if no one would follow them they wouldn't get anywhere but unfortunately there's a lot of weak-minded individuals who don't possess critical possess critical thinking skills or the backbone to just say no you see what i mean mm. What were the numbers of the rebellious rebels gathered against Moses and Aaron? Accompanied by Damoth and Abiram, troublemakers since their early days in Egypt, he rallied an additional 250 community leaders to his cause. Korath grouped new in size as throughout the night he lured thousands to his side. The next day, the 250 men approached the sanctuary with their incense-filled pans. Now these pans, once again, were not just any pans like... I'm sorry, they, I love the thrift store, so I'll use this example. These weren't thrift store finds, okay? Excuse me, drinking some water. These pans weren't paper plates 
They weren't styrofoam plates. These weren't no aluminum pans. No, 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 no. These were pans that were pans of the tabernacle. These were either pans of gold, pans of silver, or pans of copper. What we read about in the Bible up until this point, they either had clay pots or golden pans. So we can likely guess that the pans that were used that were being offered were pans that were sanctified. They were anointed by the oil that God commanded Moses to anoint them with. Therefore, therefore making these pans holy, sanctified instruments that were only supposed to be used in service to the Lord our God. So when Corinth and his rebels decide to use these pans in a way of lying, deceit, and mischief, and I'm just going to put it out there, witchcraft, and then present that witchcraft offering to the Lord our God, they have attempted in a way to pollute the tabernacle and taint what is supposed to be a holy process. So when others, when we read about God opening up the earth and swallowing this 250 to possibly thousands of individuals, and some people are like, oh, God was so extreme in the Old Testament. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, but those individuals rightfully got what they done deserved. You cannot, you cannot, in Jesus' name, attempt to pollute a place where God dwells and thinks that the holy, righteous creator of the universe will let himself be polluted or become defiled or be amongst the unclean. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Individuals, I don't know why individuals think this, but they seem to think that God is some kind of pansy and that he is just going to let himself be treated like some two-bit you-know-what. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. God has, for lack of a better word, self-respect and dignity. He knows who he is. He isn't like someone walking around who's broken, who's been who's been ripped apart, who's been lied to or put down and just takes any harlot or harlotin or charlatan off the street. No, no, no. God knows who he is. What he he has earned and how how we are to honor him is important. Amen. Amen in Jesus name. Who is Danith? Danith is a Reubenite chieftain, a son of El-Eab, who joined the conspiracy of Korath the Levite. These are the two individuals who decided to follow Korath. By the way, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. Who is Abiram? A Reubenite, a son of El-Eab, who, who with Korath, a Levite, organized a conspiracy against Moses and Aaron. The eldest son, oh, we're not going to read that part because that goes part to the part of Jericho. That's the next generation. All right. Miriam Wesper, Webster, <laughs> Webster, <laughs> um, the Thorson reading um, has a couple of interesting descriptions and definitions for the word pride. And I really felt like God was leading us to look up what the word pride 
pride means because had these individuals been humble and been able to say you know what i can see where we're going wrong um we apologize right if they would have just been humble and admitted they were wrong i do believe god would have punished them and like i said they would have had to prove themselves again at the very least i believe that but because these individuals continued to remain stiff-necked and hard-headed and be prideful which is a wicked wicked sin right i believe once they had gone so far they weren't willing to turn back because they didn't want to be embarrassed so to speak or they didn't want they didn't think they could save face they they didn't want to feel a shame or feel the shame that they rightfully earned to feel for going against God's servants. Amen. So we're going to look at the definition of pride in a couple of words that describe pride as well. A reasonable or just justifiable sense of one's worth or importance. Finishing that survival course such gave me course gave me such a real sense of pride and confidence in my abilities so there is most people when they teach about pride they always say it's negative and it's wrong to have pride and but any feeling that is put to an extreme or is excessive or puts puts all the honor and glory in our hands yeah that's negative but is it good to have confidence in yourself because if you have confidence in what God has placed in you, you know you're able and willing to go and do the task that the Lord or God has led you to. I don't believe that's such a negative thing. Now, if you get prideful, will you start just listening to yourself instead of listening to God? Yeah, well then that's a negative thing. So in, um, in a balance, I believe that pride can be a good thing. But when it is self-pride, self-esteem self-recognition self 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 self-assurance self-confidence that's when it's negative because just like the serpent right lucifer what did he say i will ascend to the throne i will be like the most high they'll bow down to me he wanted god's throne he didn't want to serve humans he didn't want to serve god he wanted to be god which he could never be because he is he was or is a created thing, which we rebuke in Yeshua's great name because he turned against our father. All right. Now, I want to go over a couple of prideful individuals' um, characteristics. And this is where I want us to take an honest assessment. If there is someone you are counting, encountering um, in a relationship that you could then remove yourself from being in a relationship with them, I see. They seek the Lord our God on that matter in Jesus name. If they are your co-worker and etc. Now if it's marriage, I'm sorry, you got to take that to the Lord. <laughs> don't don't come and say, Miss Marie. No, Miss Marie did not say Lord. Miss Marie told them to take that to you in Jesus name. But on the same token, if some of us hear these words and it kind of pricks us, that is the spirit of conviction. Um, repent repent and seek correction from the lord or god why to self-improve which is a good thing in christ 
Seek Christ's examples and the cleansing and healing that only the Lord our God can bring. Amen? Amen. All right. So a couple that stood out to me was being big-headed. <laughs> Complacency, conceit, conceitedness, ego, egotism. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of that, huh? Pomposity. Pompness, right? Pridefulness. Self-admiration, self-assumption, self-conceit, self-congratulations, self-glory. That is a huge one, right? Self-importance. Mm. That really spoke to me right there, self-importance. There are some individuals that, when I hear that word, it makes me think of certain individuals who can never give others the credit or credit is due, or they feel that somehow they did the bare minimum and they deserve a freaking parade. Like, whip-de-doo, you showed up to work on time. Do you really think you deserve a trophy? Or you see what I mean? Or whip-de-doo, you're dressed appropriately for the situation. Do you think you deserve applause? Like that, that's the bare minimum. Something that is above and beyond um, something that glorifies the Lord. Yes, that's awesome. That is outstanding. But if you do the bare minimum in a low minimum kind of situation where, let's say you work somewhere and everyone shows up 15 minutes late, but you're the only one who shows up on time. Well, yes, good job. But that's something you're supposed to do. Why don't you go a step beyond and show up 15 minutes early? You see what I mean? And then stay 15 minutes later than the last person. And then while you're there, work the whole time. Don't take any breaks. And you do your best effort every single day. You don't do it to please man, but you do it to glorify the Lord. That's going above and beyond. Does that make sense? That's something that glorifies the Lord and deserves applause and rewards from our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Smugness, swelled head. <laughs> Vanity, vainness. Oh, yes. Oh, words related to pride. One of the ones in here I thought was just, oh, disdain. Disdainfulness. That reminded me of um, the chapter reading that we read about um, where God says, if they hate me and my law, and then we looked at the definition that it was showing disdain towards God. And it just made me think, is that what prideful people do? Is that the spirit that they put off? Disdain, disdainfulness towards God's word? I don't know. It just made me think about that. I thought that was kind of awesome. Anyhow, we'll continue scrolling, but... One thing I did notice right here about synonyms of pride, a flatterer and a plum or plume. I have noticed people who are very prideful, um, they love to be flattered. They can't take any criticism or constructive criticism. Like if you give them one negative review, they... They faint victim, you know, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that. And they will harp on it for the next 
10 years how that one time you didn't agree with them on one issue or you didn't like their outfit or whatever they make it into the biggest ordeal that ever ordealed an ordeal does that make sense and <laughs> and um i just thought man is this what because i'm thinking obviously i'm trying to apply this to my life or to myself and seek correction where i can and give forgiveness where i can but it made me wonder i was like is this what these individuals were suffering from were they suffering from pride did i not recognize it excuse me i'm drinking some water and then praise god so my next question is how does one rid themselves of this prideful spirit because if it's allowed in it could be cast out in jesus name right anyhow that's my next my next goal to understand how can a prideful spirit be cast out of someone or is it a spirit that has to be fasted and prayed out therefore it could only be removed out by that individual if they are willing to remove it themselves does that make sense? Ooh, mm -mm -mm. got so much thinking to do, my lord. Jealous, prideful, and spiritual lacking, unhappy people. What they have is several evil spirits, sickness, and sin. Some people are similar to Karoth, Danoth, and Abiham in that although they have family, money, position, and fame, they still are not satisfied. They want what others have. Not because they have earned it, but because they feel they deserve it. Instead of looking around and appreciating what God has blessed them with, they look at someone else's house, someone else's spouse, someone else's occupation, living, and because others are blessed, they feel they are lacking. They want no one to succeed and be fruitful, at least never more than them ain't that the truth lord Woo! in jesus name don't we know some people like that if that is us just repent repent and be like god mm. i have been uh been very wicked i need to correct this and if that has been happening to us Let's understand that those individuals who have treated us that way, you know, they, they're filled with evil spirits. They're filled with the spirit of bitterness, uh, rebellion, obviously, antichrist spirit. They have some deep wounds. Um, they have some victimhood mentality and we need to pray for them. But I do believe they can only be remedied or cured or healed if that individual um, seeks fasting and prayer themselves. Because from everything I read, um, it's something they are personally holding on to. Like Koros, right? He was fixated on what he didn't have. He wasn't looking at everything God had blessed him with already. Amen. That's a dissatisfied heart. And dissatisfaction is a meal that only one prepares for themselves. I can't give someone dissatisfaction. That would be something 
that only one can have themselves or take when I don't want it in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen? Amen. All right. Maybe this is another reason that the Lord our God said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's manservant, nor his maid, nor his ox, nor his ass, neither anything that is your neighbor's. I believe this is another reason why Koroth um, met a judgment because he was going against the commandments of our father who, and he went in several details between chapters 20 and, and 30 of the book of Exodus and then he reiterated uh, the commandments later at every turn. Not to mention um, every where was it? I forget what um, biblical feast it is, but there's a biblical feast which probably only happened two times at this point in the Bible where all of the commandments and rules from the Lord our God are continually read so individuals remember and if they had forgotten, they would make a repentance, right? And then they would have a time. Oh, praise God. Praise the living God. Month of Elul. Between the month of Elul, praise Yahweh, and Rosh Hashanah, that's when all the repenting and they read, they read the commandments and everything like that. So they know what to, they have done. They have time to um, be written in the book of life for another year. Does that make sense? All right. I'm saying that a lot tonight. Does that make sense? Maybe I need to make sense. Hmm. Praise God. Alright. If rebels had been successful, there no doubt in my mind that the remaining Kohanam would have been would not have been saved or been able to escape with their lives. As tradition often goes, once a king or a leader is taken out by, by rebels, their bloodline and followers were immediately attacked or next. So I believe that's another reason why these rebels met such a swift justice um, from the Lord our God is I believe that these rebels intended to kill Moses and Aaron and all the rest of the Kohanites when they were taking over. This is what I believe because um, that's what was traditionally done especially in biblical times when a new ruler was set in place they got rid of the old court so to speak because they didn't want anyone trying to take back the throne that they stole. This happened throughout wars and throughout history. It's happening right now. <laughs> so you know what I mean? So um, it makes sense to me, but please always confirm with our Father who is in heaven. Edmund's Bible Handbook, Numbers chapter 16. The rebellion at Korath, Danath, and Abiram. This unholy alliance has a two-pronged attack. Korath the Levite grievance is Aaron's monopoly of the priesthood. Danath and Abiram challenged Moses on the grounds of high-handedness and his failure to bring them into the promised land. But at the root, the attack is on God, and it is God who puts the rebellion down in Jesus' name. Praise God. 
So I really, I really like this Bible handbook. If anyone gets one besides the, where is it? The Haley's Bible handbook. I suggest handbook with pictures because it's nice to see um, what others are talking about in the Bible. The picture, the photo in this one, um, I believe this was the photo of the fertile area where they would get water or spring water often and then it leads into other rivers. And I don't know about everyone else, but I had been taught like they were just in a vast desert and they just never had any water and stuff like that. But the more and more I read the Bible and researched um, geography and ancient texts and, and Roman texts and Egypt texts and stuff like that, the more and more I read it, the more and more I learned that that area um, was a very lush land. And our idea of a wandering sand desert is very different than their idea of a wandering sand desert. Um, I believe from researching that a lot of that land was very prosperous and was very healthy and very green and a lot of rivers and wells and water all around for it's written in the Bible. So in my opinion, it's nice to see a bunch of these pictures that show more recent times excuse me show more recent times but they give an idea of the possible glory that would have been there in biblical times amen all right ab abra bra abra bra <laughs> a southern portion which still remains the name of abra bra is included in the wilderness of Zin. And we talked about what was the wilderness of Zin, right? This is the wilderness where they were traveling through. And there was a moon god, which is the Ishmaelites, which are the Islams, right? At this time. And they are the ones who later, they breeded with the sons of God who went into the daughters of man and created the giants. Um, so there was a lot of mixed DNA that we went over in the last Bible studies that we're finding out. And these are the individuals that were wandering the desert and so at any point in time, uh, the nation of Israel was surrounded by her enemies. Ain't nothing new under the sun because the nation of Israel is still surrounded by her enemies, sadly, right? But the reason why that's important is for later battles that we're going to read about in the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. All right. According to the survey of Lord Kitchener's and George Armstrong made in 1883 under the Auspices and the Palestine Exploration Fund. Its length from the head of the Gulf of Aqaba and the Dead Sea is 112 miles. The lowest point of the watershed is 45 miles from Aqaba and 660 feet above the tide. Why is this important? Because this is the trail of the water in the valley where they said that this land opened up and swallowed these individuals, um, these rebels that decided to transgress against God and his servants. I, I felt it was important to review this. Why? Because oftentimes, us as Christians, we will hear from those who don't believe that there's no proof that the Bible exists, that there's no proof... Um, that these location 
that these uh, events happened in these locations. But if we were to do a little bit of research and dig, we would find that there is vast proof out there. And it's not all just Christian um, documents. There's a lot of documents that was kept by non-believer nations, um, heathen nations, and they confirm truths of the Bible. They might have a different name for the city. They might have uh, the leader in another name. But it's the same thing. If we are willing to find the research and ask God to lead us there, we will find it. Amen and amen. All right. The average width of the valley was at this point about six miles. But here in the series of low limestone ridges called Erythanth, rising 150 feet above the plain, runs obliquely across it for a distance of 10 miles, narrowing it up to breadth the about the one mile, one half mile north opposite of Mount Har. The valley widens out of 13 miles and then gradually narrows to six miles at the south of the end of the Dead Sea. Now I like um, the picture that was placed on here, right here. This is the encyclopedia um, that I copied and pasted here. And then it has right here the um, explanation of why this is important. So this Mount Hurl that we see right here, right? Um, just above it is the red dot. So this is the area where it is said that the earth opened up and swallowed these individuals. Um, it's supposed to be a huge area. And the reason why I believe God left it there is a reminder to later nations or individuals who walked by and maybe saw that valley they might say you know it became a proverb where they would say don't go against God and his prophets or else you might get swallowed up like those that got swallowed up in this area does that make sense I don't know it makes sense to me only because when we read uh, the Psalms it says that a lot of the wastelands will become proverbs that when other nations look upon them they'll remember not to transgress against God so it makes sense. All right. So next we're going to go over the biblical part of the Bible study reading out of the Geneva 1560 edition of the Bible. Uh, I just want to go over my notes to make sure I got ever went over everything before we get into the text. Ah. There was a couple questions that I asked God when I was studying uh, the Bible. And so one of the questions I asked God was, why was the offering considered unauthorized? Um, I believe God led us to one, it wasn't the priests who were supposed to be making the offering. We've, we've gone over that several times before. Levites were to assist the Kohanim. They was not their place to ever uh, make a sacrificial offering on behalf of the Kohanims because excuse me drinking some water that whole ceremony process and sanctification process and consecration process and ceremony was commanded and authorized by God and only authorized for the Arianites or the descendants from the tribe of Aaron their leader um 
the Levites, because of their loyalty that they showed at the Golden Calf event, they were taken on as God's firstborn, yes. But they were not, they were not, not, not deemed worthy, anointed, and appointed to be the Kohanim's. Amen. And I know a lot of individuals try to say that we're all the body of Christ, which we are. We're all important, which we are. Um, we're all priests under Christ. Absolutely. But there is an order to God. There is an order to God. And we can never attempt to usurp someone else's position or be jealous of what someone else is doing in the body of Christ because then that is I'm gonna say it picking up the spirit of Korath okay picking up the jealousy spirit the begetting spirit the rebellion spirit the trying to um, commit anarchy spirit and those are all things that go completely against God that makes us if we were to do that an enemy of God just like Korath and his followers were amen Amen in Jesus' name. The next question I asked God was, um, could he provide us an example of where someone was anointed and appointed by God, but they attempted to um, do something that was out of their line or their jurisdiction, their jurisdiction of appointment, and then they were greatly punished. And what I felt God led us to was, like in the case of King Saul, right? King Saul refused to wait for, I believe, the prophet Samuel. Yeah, he for he refused to wait for the prophet Samuel. He had to wait like one more day to make the offering and sacrifice to our father. But he didn't. And instead, he took it upon himself because he's like, well, I'm the king. I'm anointed and appointed. I can do this offering. I don't have to wait. I've been waiting. I'm not going to wait anymore. Maybe he's not coming. And he decided to make the offering himself. And when Samuel came upon and he saw what had happened, he was greatly grieved. If you read that story, Samuel was angered. And he said, now because you've not listened, God is going to take the throne from you. And that's just one example that God led us to. But it, to my, in my opinion, it drives home the fact that just because God has placed you as a pastor, that doesn't make you a prophet. The same way it, a prophet, you should never go in the line and try to do a healing on someone if God hasn't called you to be a healer. You see what I mean? And I know someone's going to say, Murray, that's a bad example because prophets do healings. Yes, they do. But they still have to follow the leading of the Lord our God. God will not send us out for an admission and an anointment appointment where we are not supposed to be because then we are not under his hedge of protection and his shielding and we would be acting in rebellion. Does that make sense? We would never send a, <laughs> a children ministry leader, right? We would never expect them to stand up and say, thus says the Lord. No, that is the prophet's job. Know your lane, run your race, and stay in it. And be proud in where God has placed you. Don't be like Karoth and look at the other side of the fence and be like, yeah, I have all this, but what about that? I want that too. No, 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 no. 
If God wants to anoint you to do something new and you feel you've earned that place, why not just ask the Lord or God yourself? Say, God, I want to be a prophet. I feel I, I can do the job. I want to serve you in being a prophet. And if God says, deems you worthy, he'll make you a prophet. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to try to tear someone else's throne down, so to speak. There's more than enough wealth and blessings from the Lord our God. Blessings are never going to run out. Amen. From the fountains of heaven. It doesn't work that way. This world has lacking. But God's kingdom, there ain't no lacking whatsoever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the next question I asked God was... Find out the numbers. Oh, how many at this point had been stricken down by plagues or famine or or died throughout the Bible? And I forgot to look look up the number. Um, up until this point because they rebelled against God. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I feel the numbers have a meaning. But I forgot before the Bible study to look it up. So I'm going to try to do that again. And I think that is the only questions I asked God. Alright, yeah. Alright, so let's keep it moving. Geneva Bible 1560 edition, the biblical text. Ooh, Father God, thank you, my Lord and Savior, for this Bible study. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. Thank you for leading and guiding us. We give you all the honor, praise, and glory, Lord. Thank you for revealing, for revealing to us maybe characteristics or things that we might need to change lord if if there's anyone out there repenting lord and coming to you lord thank you for accepting their repentance thank you for leading and guiding us and giving us direction on how to move forward in a way that honors you and glorifies you lord and and shows that we have sincerely and humbly removed any of those sins far from us lord and on those who need you know healing and prayer lord we pray that they receive this healing from you your beautiful glorious spirit 